How are you guys doing this morning? Ooh, that was loud. But <laughs> are you awake now? <laughs> so uh, before I get started, I want to remind you, next week, Tom Borsick is going to be back. Um, for you guys who don't know Tom, you are missing out. Tom's just a, an incredible just joy to be around. He's a ton of fun. Uh, he'll mess with you if you're not careful, practical, joker kind of guy. But incredibly genuine, incredibly authentic, and gifted. Uh, he has an incredible history in ministry, and again, just who he is and what he brings is just amazing. So he's going to be back next Sunday. Um, for, for you guys, I don't know if you remember, he was here about a month or two ago, a couple of months ago, something like that, and uh, he, he was the one who, who brought the word about no more false starts. And so one of the things I love about Tom is he doesn't just minister from the front, although he does a phenomenal job of preaching and ministry, um, but his heart is always when he comes into our church is, what's the Lord saying to DCF? What's he saying to whoever he ministers to? Um, literally, every time we get together with leaders, he'll have prophetic words over these guys. He's just always leaning in. He's coming back uh, again next Sunday, so he'll be here, so be ready for that. He's bringing his wife, which is even better. Michelle is wonderful, amazing. They got, uh, they got a lot of kids. My favorite story with Tom, the first time I heard him preach at Northlands, he introduced himself. He said, hi, my name's Tom Borsick. I have an amazing wife named Michelle he said, I have three amazing kids and two others. <laughs> so that tells you a little bit about him and his personality, but again, incredibly gifted. Tom's the real deal, and so um, if, if you get a chance, or, or a better way to say it is whatever you do, don't miss next week. Uh, Tom's going to be here. He's going to be amazing. We're looking forward to that. So I want to uh, jump into our, our message today. This is the last message I'm going to be doing on a series we've been doing called Authentic Relationships. And, uh, you know, we were talking about Tom a minute ago, Tom Borsick's from California. And I remember a story about California. It's called, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar what, with this, it's called a California Rolling Stop. Does anybody know of that? We have a few people who are from California or spent time there. And so the story goes, um, this man who's from Alabama is in California. He drives, he sees everybody else do it. And so he's like, oh, I'll try this. So he pulls up, and a California rolling stop is you pull up, but you don't actually stop. You just kind of roll through, kind of use the stop sign as a yield and kind of do. Let's be honest. That's an Alabama stop, too, if we're, <laughs> if we're being honest. And so the policeman pulls him over, um, writes him a citation, and the guy gets upset, and he goes, I don't understand this. He said, it's, you know, everybody does this. I don't, know the, I don't understand the problem. He said, well, sir, it's against the law. He said, you know, you stop because it's safer to stop. That way you can look, and, you know, you're not going to make any mistakes. And he said, well, I just don't think it's that important. He said, sir, get out of the car. <laughs> so he gets out of the car, and he takes his billy stick, and he just begins to beat him incessantly. He says, would you like me to slow down, or would you like me to stop? <laughs> so here's the thing. We live in a world right now that is so busy, so busy. Not only do we not stop, we don't even slow down most of the time, right? We are so busy as a, as a culture. And what was amazing to me is I remember going when COVID kind of started really kicking in, you know, we, we disconnected from so many of the things that we were normally doing. And, you know, and everybody's thinking, you know, this is going to be a, a, an introvert's dream, right? <laughs> it's like there's just nothing to do, maybe play a video game. I don't know what introverts do. I'm not one, so I don't I have any idea. I'm sure, I'm sure they're healthy. Anyway, <laughs> I was thinking, this is going to slow us way down. Our cult, this is actually going to be, in some ways, God's going to use this as a blessing in disguise. Can I tell you, I know a lot of people who are busier now than they were before COVID, right? And so, again, I think part of that is it's just, it's in our nature to be busy. Um, the challenge is we're not always productive when we're busy. So busy is not a bad thing necessarily. It's just sometimes busy doesn't get us uh, kind of what we're after. 
Um, a lot of it is, I think, is just, again, is our, our, our culture. Let me start with uh, the definition of the word busy. There's four basic definitions. And one of them is called in, is engaged in action. So to be busy is to be engaged in action. Another one is to be full of activity. Um, this one's interesting, foolish or intrusively active, full of distracting details is, is the last one. So I like the first two, right? I, I, I want to be engaged in action and full of activity. I don't think that's a problem. I think too often, though, we fall into that last category where we're foolishly or intrusively active. You know, so we're, we're being busy, we're doing things, but we're not really accomplishing that much from our busyness. And so the danger is, you know, we, we get caught up in um, what the Bible calls the spirit of the world or the spirit of the age. And so all that means is things begin to take on an importance because culture has an authority, and I've taught into this before, that there are levels of authority, and, a, and culture has a tremendous authority. And if, and if you don't believe that, travel to another country and, and just watch the differences. Uh, it's just amazing. There's a the study done not too long ago. This was actually, it started in the 80s, and it's gotten even more potent. Um, and the study was around teenagers and how teenagers were different before the internet. But the, the moment the internet became so pervasive, all of a sudden teenagers in Japan and teenagers in America were more alike than teenagers in Japan were like their parents or like older people in, uh, in their own country, in the same in every other country. And part of that is because culture is very invasive. It grabs hold, it captures our attention. And again, that's not necessarily bad. We always teach that the way you deal with culture in any culture is you, you allow it to do what it does, but then you, you, you let it sit over the top of the kingdom and all the values of the kingdom need to come through that culture. So let me give you an example in, our, in the South. Um, we are nice for the most part, right? Um, uh, friendly is another word. I mean, I've traveled extensively, and if people find out I'm from Alabama, they typically say two things. One, sweet home Alabama. Three things. One, they sing sweet home Alabama. Two, they ask me about football, right, because that's important. <laughs> and thirdly, um, they tell me how nice people are from the South. Anybody they've ever met from the South is so friendly and so nice. But that can be dangerous because in, if your character is off, you use that culture to be, um, what's a nice word for it, uh, <laughs> deceitful, subtly, um, you know, you gossip a little bit, you talk about somebody after you leave a party kind of thing. So anyway, it can be bad. So culture has some authority, and, and we have to be careful not to fall into it. So again, the, the definition of busy is engaged in action, full of activity. Those are good things. The last two are not so good. Foolishly, intrusively active. Uh, full of distracting detail. So let me just give you a, sor a short list of some possible commitments that you might have in, in our culture right now. Most of these you know, careers, jobs, sports, relationships, hobbies, church, school, volunteering, serving, different places, church or other, other places, and of course, family. So if you consider that list, if you see that list, that kind of word cloud that I have up there, um, which one of those is sinful? <laughs> which one of those is morally unacceptable or not right? And the truth is, if we're honest, intrinsically, intrinsically and inherently, none of them are wrong, right? But if we're not careful, we can, we can turn them into something that's not helpful. We can be unhealthy or disingenuous in our relationships. We can go into all these things and we can get so busy in them that we, if we're not careful, we don't make time for the things that are important. So it's interesting because we always think, I, I talk to people about the culture today and they, like, they think, well, you know, we're busy. It was not like that in the Bible. So Paul didn't really understand and Jesus, I always love this argument. It's one of my favorites. Jesus didn't really understand. You know, Paul, Paul didn't like women. You know, they go through this whole list of all the things about Paul. I'm like, 
you have not read anything about Paul or Jesus, obviously. You've just been on the internet. So maybe read the Bible would be helpful. So let me just give you a brief list of biblical busyness and in, in some of the commitments that they had in the Bible, um, some of those scriptures. Family was a big one. Jesus had parents and siblings that talked about in Mark 3, his mother and his brothers arrived somewhere. So he had a pretty big family. Um, John the Baptist was a cousin. So they had a pretty big extensive family. Philip and his daughters are mentioned in Acts Peter had a wife and a mother-in-law, the Bible talked about um, in their relationship. Talks about in Timothy 3 about overseers and elders and how to govern their family. That's a big, big important thing about how they lead their families determines how they'll lead in church. So it's a big prerequisite. Another one is study. Um, You see Luke, um, this would be interesting coming from Luke since he was a doctor. Um, But he actually talked about Jesus growing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So there was a sense of study that happened with all young males. The, the uh, cultural, interesting cultural kind of side note is that by the time you were 13 in their culture, you would have memorized the first five books of the Bible. That's a lot, <laughs> right? I remember trying to memorize, memorize in Bible college, you know, uh, John 1 through 10 and how challenging that was. And these guys were memorizing. Of course, they didn't have, you know, uh, Xbox, so maybe that had something to do with. So friendships are another one. Um, you see in Luke chapter 10, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, and that was a, a, Jesus, a place that Jesus loved to go. He was celebrated. He was honored. He was accepted. He was, um, that was just a place he loved to be, obviously. Um, sports, hobbies, you see that pop up in different places. One is uh, Timothy talking about phys- physical training having some value. So that was a big part of the Greek culture at the time. Um, it's a really big part. Uh, you see jobs, careers. Um, this is Second Thessalonians and Paul talking. He said, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. So he's using them in his team as an example. He said, we're not, we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. I love that. Like his intention, his heart was no excuses for, you know, for being offended by the gospel. If the gospel offends you, that's, that's up to you, but you're not going to be offended by our example and our model. He goes on, he says, on the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. And I love that. So, so he preached the gospel, but at the same time, he worked a full-time job. He was a tent maker, so, you know, there's lots of different perspectives on what that looked like, but it was a very, they led a very, very busy life. Church life, of course, Acts 2, um, says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, they devoted themselves to fellowship. So listen to that. Uh, Greg and Northlands, they just did a, a, a series recently called Devoting, uh, Devoting Themselves. And it goes after this and how intense it was in the, in the early days and how important it was to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, right? To go after theology and, and understanding who God is and, and what he said, his character and his nature. And then devoting themselves to fellowship, giving time to connect, having dinner together, having coffee together. I don't know if they had coffee as much. Probably just squeezed a bunch of olives. I don't know what they did back then. <laughs> Having an olive bar. I have no idea. <laughs> but the point is that they would connect and they would gather and fellowship. And then it says they would break bread together. So that's a, that's a, a picture of communion, but it's more a, picture, more a picture of community, right? So that was the whole context is they would eat together often. And then it said they would pray together. They would spend time together praying. So church life was really important. So so often we don't think about the early church having a busy life, right? But they did. And so the context from Scripture is not without understanding what it means to have a busy life. And, let it ch- and yet it challenges us in the busyness of life to make sure that we're making time, right? 
not taking time, making time for the things that are very, very important. And so often we don't do that, not because it's a hard issue. So let me say this. Almost never is it a hard issue that you're like, you know, I just don't like God's people or the church. I mean, sometimes if you've, had, if you've been hurt by that, right, I, I get it. But most of the time it's just you get caught up, right, in the busyness of work, the busyness. And so what happens is it, it starts out really, really subtly, and it's not intentional. It's kind of like, you know, nobody goes to Waffle House to eat. You just kind of end up there. Anybody? Actually, I went to Waffle House on purpose the other day, right? I actually like Waffle House. <laughs> but, but that's what happens. You don't intend to get into that place where your life is so busy that you've had your head down now for two years, and you haven't, you know, you haven't realized that a lot of things that, you, that were important to you two years ago, you've let them slip, right? And what's really sad is when we notice that too late, because it's really tough to catch, that, catch back up when you lose two years, right? See, it's not easy to do. So, you know, it's, it's interesting. Our life is not just busy normally, but oftentimes there's more commitments. You know, your job, you have to work extra hours. I know with COVID and some of the guys, we have a lot of people in the medical field here at DCF, just many more hours and, you know, just more challenging, more stress. Um, sometimes God's interested in your kids being involved in, the, in sports more than maybe you might think. Sometimes that's a good thing. I think the key is not do what the culture is doing. Again, not necessarily that that's bad. It's just making sure that that's a high value and a high commitment, and it's accomplishing for you what you intended, intended it to accomplish, right? Um, we used to have uh, young people, a lot of young people, we did uh, teen ministry for uh, many, many years off and on. And it was always interesting to me, a lot of places, the family's, the family's bar was set so low for their kids. They're like, you know, if, if I can get my daughter, you know, out of high school, into college and married and her not get pregnant, ooh, win. I'm like, what? what? That's as low as bar as you get, you know. If I can get, um, you know, guys not to get on drugs, my kids not to get. And so they would, they would get them into sports to distract them, right? And so, again, that, I understand that, but, it, the, but the bar is so low with that mentality because if, if sports is doing what it's supposed to do, I mean, again, there's value in it. Timothy talked about that. But it's not the most value. And so if, if it matches your value system and you're having an intentional conversation and intentionality behind your kids being involved in sports, man, more power to you. It's a tremendous tool. It's just a horrible master, right? Because culture, again, culture's not interested in the life of, of the kingdom, not interested in the life of God. So it's going to, by its nature, distract us from the things that are more important. So you know, the question is, do we even try to balance that out? I mean, it's so hard. What do we do? And so I think Jesus would challenge our schedules. I think he would, he would be, because again, he was always inviting, but also very challenging. And, and put, he would push back and he would make statements to people that would just kind of take them aback. They were just, you know, they were like, you know, the, the woman at the well. You know, I'm, she comes in with kind of, hey, how's it going? You know, how's the weather? And Jesus like, you know, where's your husband? He's like, oh, snap. You know, here he goes <laughs> down that road. And so he just goes right for the jugular sometimes. So I think Jesus would do that when it comes to, to busyness, our, our culture, and how that grabs hold of us. Um, but I think there's some questions that we, it's, it's really good to ask some, some questions and kind of go, go forward about that. But first of all, I think Jesus would ask us to commit to things that are higher in value than some of the things that would grab hold of us and take advantage of the fact that maybe we're not being intentional or we're just weary um, from, you know, the world. I mean, there are a lot of different reasons. Like I said, I don't think it's ever a heart issue. 
But let me just give you an example. Um, giving yourself, Jesus, I think, would ask you to give yourself and, and make a commitment to something. In other words, being super intentional, going, this is valuable um, as opposed to some other things. So the first one would be forgiving one another. Like it doesn't seem like that's an interesting thing or it seems like that that should be something you would commit to. But biblically, that's a really, really big picture. Why? Because so often in our culture, when we come together, and some, someone's going to offend someone. Whether they do it intentionally or not, whether they had a bad day, and they just, it's going to happen. So if you don't know that, man, are you going to be surprised in relationships, right? People ask Karen and I a lot about, you know, you guys have been married for a while. What's the, what's the key to your success? And I'm like, I just, I just let Karen tell me what to do. And then, <laughs> y'all know that's not true. <laughs> Karen's just going, I'm going to get you for that. We'll get home. So, you know, but that's what happens. It, it turns into this passive thing, right? But here's the thing. It, we, we love each other. We were talking to somebody the other day. We've, we, we met at, at four, we were 14 when we met. We were friends before we ended up being in a romantic relationship. I think it's a great way to do it. We've been married for 34, coming on 35 years. I love her with all my heart, everything, but she can drive me crazy and I can drive her crazy because we're high-capacity people and our personalities sometimes can rub. But the Bible says that's a good thing if you commit to forgive one another. Why? Because it's real easy to let things build up to resentment, and then it explodes, and then you get a divorce, and then you're like, I don't know, I don't know how that happened. I can tell you how it happened. You didn't commit. You didn't make an intentional decision. I'm going to forgive. I'm, going to, I'm, I'm not just going to forgive without challenging, right? I'm going I'm to challenge, we're going to challenge one another to be healthy, healthy in our relationships, but we have to commit to do that. Another one is accept one another. Obviously, these are the one another's in the Bible. There's 50-something one another's um, in the New Testament alone. Romans 15, 17 says, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. So there's this picture of, hey, when people come into your life, they're, they're probably going to be broken somewhere, right? Um, and part of relationship is you get to grow one another. We've been talking about this in this series. An authentic relationship is you, you have to commit to accept one another wherever you are with the intention of saying, hey, I'm, I hope you're not happy where you are if you're broken, right? We want to help you grow. And so that's part of the beautiful challenge that, that community brings is it's just not okay for you to stay in the hole that you've dug or that someone else dug for you. And the beautiful thing about commitment is because of these, I mean, the beautiful thing about community is because of the, these commitments, it can bring us out into healthy places, right? Another one is submitting to one another. That's a tough one. Recognizing some people's functionality, their gifting, their, you know, their experience, their um, talents, whatever, may be bigger than yours, even though maybe you feel like you have a, a bigger role or whatever, the, the ability to submit to one another is a really, really strong commitment. Bear with one another. I mean, all these, you know, I'm not going to go through all of them. Carrying one another's burdens. We talk about that base, you know, carrying one another's burdens, which is something that's too hard for, for you to carry. And the flip side of that is right after that scripture says, but carry your own load. In other words, in a community, we, we see scripturally there's a definition between what a load is and what a burden is. And we're happy to help one another carry burdens, but don't expect me to carry your load, and you don't expect me to carry, uh, for you to carry my load. And that's what help builds into commit, uh, community in a big way. And then the last one is loving one another. This is interesting because this happens 16 times in the New Testament. It, it says commit some form or fashion to commit to love one another. And love, the Bible says, covers a multitude of sins. In other words, it creates a buffer for us to grow up and be mature. 
So Andy Stanley uh, shared a series called One Another, One Another. It took me a minute to figure that out, but it's, it's a verb. It's kind of a play on words. He's good at that kind of stuff. But he emphasized that we should be more committed to relational well-being and connectivity than maintaining calendars, demands, and rituals. In other words, people are more important than things. This is not new to you. So when the pace, this is what, what he said in one of the uh, uh, sessions he did. He says, when the pace of life is affecting our ability to be committed to one another, there's a problem with the pace, right? And so that's something that's super important. And again, I talked about some questions. As leaders, these are some questions we should always be asking ourselves. Is there room in my life to fulfill the greater one another commitments? This is a big question. Do you have margin for relationships? Because relationships take time. If you don't have margin for relationships, you are not going to have authentic, healthy, strong relationships. It's just not going to happen. Another question is, are my commitments resulting in healthy and satisfying experiences? In other words, the things I've chosen to commit to or the things that have chosen me <laughs> that I'm committed to, are they actually bringing about healthy and satisfying experiences? Is it biblical? Is it growing me? Is it good? Um, and lastly, do I have emotional and spiritual reserves? That goes back again to margin. Sometimes you have spiritual reserves, but you don't have an emotional reserve. I watch this. Karen and I have to watch this carefully as, as leaders because the, it, it, the need is greater than what we can bring. So the danger is, you know, it's like I, I, I Messiah complex. I can take this on. I can do this all. No, we can't, which is why God says the role that we have is not to do it. We have our own, you know, our own load to carry, of course, and not just in our personal lives, individually, as a family, our, our role at, at the church, but part of the challenge is we can't carry other people's burdens, and burdens are really, really big. It takes a team to do that, right? And so commitment to being submitted to one another, all going after these one another's releases other people to do what they're really, really good at, and that's, that's super helpful. So again, there's some challenges. Let me just give you some truths and kind of end with this. Three truths about commitment that will help you choose the right ones to keep. So what are the commitments that you should choose and how do you determine that? So these are super simple. None of this is new. Um, First one is this. Commitments are a result of choice, not conditions. So here's the thing. Karen says this all the time to anybody we're trying to connect with. They're like, hey, we should get together. And every single time she'll say, let's put it on a calendar. Like now. Right? And people are like, ah, and they start walking away, right? Not all the time. But, but the point is we're not used to that because we're like, we, we say that because it's a nice thing to say, but the, the challenge is, you know, you can tell a person's values by looking at their calendar and their checkbook very, very easily, right? It doesn't matter what you say your values are. What are they really? And so, again, commitments are a result of choice, not condition, or not circumstance. So in other words, circumstances, circumstances are going to do what circumstances do. They're going to pop up. And they're going to, if you don't have margin in your life, they're going to take you out. If you're operating on the edge financially, if you're operating on the edge emotionally, spiritually, time, any of those areas, if you're on the edge and you have no margin, you will have no room for one another's. And so part of this is you have to make a choice. Let me just say this about calendar. Um, people say, man, I'm so busy, I can't commit to this. And so my pushback on that is, I hear you. I, I also have commitments, right? But let me ask you this. Where are you going to be in six months? Are you going to be able to commit now? Right? And the answer is no. If you don't change something now in six months, 
you're going to be right where you are, right where you were six months ago. So I just want to push back on this. Again, if you choose, let me put, let me put it this way. We, I had lunch with somebody not too long ago, not from here in this church, but they were part of ministry in another church. And they, and they were just kind of almost apologizing for, for taking my time, right? Because, you know, I'm a senior pastor, so you, you guys know how important I am, right? <laughs> that seemed like that's what was kind of coming across. And I was like, listen, when, when I chose to sit down with you for lunch, first of all, I knew it was going to be more than an hour, right? <laughs> I just knew that. That's, I don't have very many 30-minute lunches with people. Sometimes if they have to work, I, I will. But usually we'll talk through some things. It'll take a, an hour and a half or two hours. So I said, when I made that commitment to sit down with you, intentionally in my heart, I had a million other things I can be doing right now. But I have chosen to sit down with you because right now you are the most important thing in my life. And if you're not, why am I here right now? <laughs> right? Right? Because again, if, if, if you have relationships that are sucking all the life out of you and you continue that relationship because of Jesus or some religious reason, you need to go back and read the New Testament, right? Because Jesus is adamantly against that, talks about healthy boundaries in a hundred different ways. And so I want to push back on this whole thing is, listen, if you're doing something now, if you don't have time right now, then begin to make time and begin to create margin in your life, even if it takes, listen to me, six months or a year or two years. My job won't allow me to commit to the kingdom. Then your job is more important than the kingdom, and that's not helpful, right? So, again, my job sometimes takes up a lot of room, right? And you're like, well, your job is the kingdom. Not all the time. It's not. I promise you it's not. Admin and a hundred other things can get in the way. But my, my heart is I want to make sure that I'm making time. And I don't always do it well, so I'm always having to recalibrate, and I think all of us will. But I just want to challenge us that we would make you know, that commitments become the result of choosing commitments as opposed to things that just happen to us. The second one is this. Commitments only last when they're based on values. So if you say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to join up small group because I preached a really good message and you felt, you know, compelled to join a small group, that's going to last about two small groups, <laughs> right? And then you're going to find something that's more important. It's not, it's not blessing me, right? I'm coming to church, it's just not blessing me. I'm just not getting anything out of it. Well, my question is, what are you bringing to it? I get something out of every sermon I preach. I'll be preaching, and right in the middle of my sermon, I've got, I'm going to have to write that down. That was good. <laughs> right? But can I tell you, most of my sermons are not for me. These, these are things, hopefully, I'm working these things out before I get up here to say, hey, I think this is a good model. We should build into this. I think this is biblical. So all I'm saying is, is that our commitments, if we don't build these things into value, if I don't have a value for relationship, an authentic relationship, and creating time for it, I will not have authentic real relationships. And let me tell you, it'll bite you in the butt. I don't know if you can say that online anymore, but it'll, it, it'll get you. If you don't have commitments, you know when you find, I mean, if you don't have relationship, an authentic relationship, you know when you find out? You find out in crisis, and it's ugly. So don't, don't find yourself there. The third one is simple. And this one I think is probably more apropos than any of the others. Commitment is usually discovered in the midst of adversity. So how do you know? There's two things, one of two ways that you handle life when difficult things hit. First thing is I want to quit. I want to quit a lot. <laughs> a lot. If you don't want to quit a lot, you, are, you have not committed appropriately, okay? If you, if you don't want to quit sometimes, you have not taken on a vision from God. It's just something you can do. 
It's manageable, right? So take on a big vision from God to the point where if God doesn't come through, it's not ever going to happen. So I'm, I'm happy with that. But I think what we have to do is we have to remember that it's going to get tough, and the things you felt God call you to and ask you to spend time in, whether that's a marriage, whether it's a relationship with a friend, whether it's a job and you've prayed and the Lord said, no, I want you there, then make the commitment through adversity not to quit. The second one is obviously is I'm going to finish this. I'm going to give yourself the gift of finishing it, right? Even if it's bad, give yourself the gift of going, I'm going to get this done. I made a commitment and it's really, really hard. What difference does hard make? And the answer is, it only makes a difference if you're not mature. So let me finish the, with one last uh, scripture, and this is James 1, 2, 4. And this is kind of the crux of everything I'm going after. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. So let me break that down simply. What are trials of many kinds? It's adversity. It could be COVID. It could be a tough situation in your marriage. It could be falling on financial time, hard times. It could be a hundred different things that happen to you. That's adversity. What's perseverance? I'm making a commitment to push through this. I've said yes to some things that have value. They have tremendous value, and now adversity has come, and it's testing whether that is really a value in my life or not. And so often we fold. And when we fold, what God was trying to do inside of us, inside of us and bring us to maturity doesn't get realized. And we say it different ways, but it's like you get to go around that mountain again. We'll challenge people. They'll be in a tough situation in a relationship. We're like, listen, don't act, don't hear the lie that that, you know, this, the relationship's the problem. If I just get out of this relationship, everything's going to be okay. No, it's not. You're going to feel relief. Hear me. You're going to feel relief when you walk away from commitment, which is why people do it. But it's a short-term relief that turns into a long-term problem. You won't feel relief if you put your head down and go, this is hard, but I'm going to press through, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see this to the end, Right? If God tells you to do something different, by all means, those are the easy ones. I'm talking about the ones that are not so easy. So what are trials of many kinds, adversities? What's perseverance, commitment? And what are the results of perseverance through trials? The answer is maturity. What if the adversity of your life being scattered and hurried is an opportunity to become committed to maturity? What if some of the challenges that you're running into where you don't have margin in your life, where you can't spend time building authentic relationships in a real-life community, because DCF is really, really good at this. It's something that God has made DCF good, because it's a value that's been here long before Karen and I ever got here. This commitment to community and relationship and loving one another is, is it's such a biblical thing, but it's such a beautiful thing in, here in our church. And so I just want to challenge us. As we build authentic relationships, they never happen accidentally. I love, I don't know about you, I love watching the show about, what is it, the, the guy who, uh, who, millionaires, who he helps them find houses. It's always funny, I too, you know, it's a guy who's a millionaire, um, uh, he wins a bunch of money and then he, he goes to buy a house like in New York City or San Francisco and I'm like, you know, it's, a, it's the size of my closet and it's like $800,000. I'm like, ah, 
<laughs> right? But it's always interesting because they come by this, and you see this in stories about, uh, you know, lottery winners all the time. Um, they'll have a ton of money, and then it goes right away. And part of the reason why is they, they don't have a commitment to the value of money, right? They'd never had to. They never had money to have commitment to it, right, or value in it. And then all of a sudden, it just goes away quickly. The same thing is true. Listen, the same thing is true relationship-wise. There are going to be times, especially if you're here at DCF and you want to build into this, you want to lean into this, what will happen is, or any other local church that's doing this well, you'll come in, you'll be broken, you'll be hurting, you'll find Jesus in a community that's committed to your maturity and your growth. They will love you, they'll honor you, they'll, they'll draw out of you who God says you are. That's what re- honest, you know, those relationships do. This morning I love that Dave shared about how you know, this picture of not having to walk and eat humble pie. I love that word picture. You don't have to eat humble pie walking up a mile to see Jesus. He came down here for us, right? So, so God will create a space for you to find wholeness and, and maturity and when you do, you have to be intentional about what you do with it. Because if you don't, you will waste it. Here's what will happen. People will begin to pour into your life. You will not respond in kind. You will not be intentional about what people are giving you. You will not see the value of it because you think it, because it's free, it has no value. It wasn't free. It cost Jesus a ton, and it cost people a ton to build into relationships, especially mature people building into broken relationships. It's just easier not to, now, if we're honest. But we do that because it's what God's called us to. When we do, here's the thing, lean into it, receive it, hear the challenge, grow, become who God meant for you to be. And then as we grow in this, what happens is it creates more and more mature people who have the ability to reach out and, and, and connect and build into wholeness all kinds of people in every sphere of influence. And so God's intention at DCF in our local church is to build his kingdom through what? Through relationships. It's how he's chosen to do it. He forces us to need one another. But they will not happen if you let the culture grab hold of your life and let the culture dictate to you what relationships ought to look like. You have to go back to Scripture. and You have to let the Lord define it through revelation. And then here's the big thing. You have to make choices about what you're going to do with that information. Choose the right thing. When you hear it and you recognize it, get it right, and then make a commitment, listen, until it's there. Make a commitment. If it takes a year, if it takes six months or a year, make the commitment to to bring about change, create margin in your life so that you can build authentic relationships. And when we do that, we're going to see the kingdom flourish. Amen? so much for joining us this morning. We are um, thankful for those of you that are in person, as well as those who are watching online. If you need prayer this morning, we would love to um, take time out and pray for you. We know that there can be a lot happening and going on. If you're watching online, you can contact us through our website. If you're in-house, if you just raise your hand, we would love to come and pray for you. We uh, thank you guys so much for joining us this morning, and we will look forward to seeing you next week. We hope you have a great week, y'all.